everyone you're listening to the podcast in conversation with IPR and competition law i'm aditya trivedi founder and head of the competition law team of the podcast and your host hi i'm rigang patel the co-head for the competition team and a co-host for this episode in this podcast we usually discuss competition law updates and invite competition lawyers and academicians as our guests let's welcome our esteemed guest for today's episode ms betty mukachwa senior associate senior analyst at competition commission of south africa welcome ma'am thanks everyone and thanks for the invitation um to be part of the podcast yes ma'am and today we'll be discussing on the topic competition law and public interest So speaking about Miss Betty, Miss Betty is a South African and Australian qualified competition lawyer. Currently, she is a senior analyst at the South African Competition Commission. Formerly, she was a legal consultant at the Gilbert plus Tobin Competition and Regulatory Practice Group. She is also a Chevening alumna and has completed her masters from competition masters in competition law from QMUA. Right, Megan. Thank you so much for introducing. And again, I am very grateful to host you on this podcast. the team is really grateful starting the discussion on the topic ma'am competition law is primarily facile embedded in economics as we know so how does the impact of non economic concerns impact the various stakeholders in addition to that what are the various stakeholders who are the stakeholders to be considered in such a scenario when we look the, into competition law from a non economic concerns point of view Thanks thanks for that. Um and I should just maybe perhaps begin by saying that obviously all the comments and views I'll share today are personal views and not necessarily those of my employer but I think more interestingly I'll obviously be speaking from the South African perspective where we have seen um an increased use of non-economic objectives um or considerations in competition law and obviously in the South African context it's this ties to the history of the country and if you may even indulge me I'll just you know reflect briefly on the preamble of the South African Competition Act which sort of touches on the history um and in particular the apartheid and discriminatory laws um which were in place before 1994 which had excluded a significant number of um the country's population on the basis of race and also you know gender from being able to meaningfully participate in the economy so when we then had democracy in 1994 um and there was obviously an enactment of new economic and industrial policies um for the country one of the key policies was the competition act So the South African Competition Act unlike most of the competition policies and laws that we know and the ones that even South Africa draws from um non-economic considerations were irrelevant right so in in some countries they are still irrelevant however with the history that South Africa was faced with which is really um ensuring that the country is open to all to participate in the economy and by all i mean you know the citizens of the country who are workers who are owners of businesses but also as consumers so we then had these public interest considerations that were included in the act and what these public interest considerations have done is that they've broadened who participates in the competition 
enforcement and discourse in South Africa. So you have a rise of stakeholders that would ordinarily not participate in competition law proceedings such as trade unions, right? So we have, um, for example, one of the public interest considerations in mergers is the impact of a merger on employment. So what that has done in the act is that it has then included the participation of trade unions and employee representatives in the merger process. Um, but also more importantly, what you see is considerations around the impact of, you know, mergers and even now, um, you know, structures of markets and market inquiries on individuals who are sort of termed historically disadvantaged individuals. So I'll just use the term HDI um, for that. So we also consider, you know, the impact of, for example, a merger on the ownership um, of HDIs in the economy. Um, so you have then, you know, these new considerations that bring about these sort of new stakeholders that participate in the process. But also another key stakeholder that participates, especially in mergers, is the Minister of the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition, um, which can make submissions um, on the impact, for example, of a merger, um, on public interest considerations. And we have seen the office of the Minister of the DTIC play a key role here. So just high level, those are sort of some of the stakeholders that would ordinarily be involved um, in a sort of South African competition law enforcement process, in particular in relation to mergers. And that's in addition to obviously the usual participants being, you know, customers, competitors and suppliers and other market players. They still remain um, relevant, but you then have by virtue of these non-economic public and uh, non-economic um, considerations which are public interest considerations these new stakeholders that then also have a role to play in the enforcement of the act thank you so much for such an elaborative answer ma'am. especially with respect to the competition law it has been already stated that uh, it has been referred many a times that an economist and a competition lawyer they both act as a pilot or a co-pilot and in such a way, non-economic perspectives often get ignored. So quite an elaborative piece on non-economic impacts. Also with respect to the elaborative view on the stakeholders involved, that was quite interesting because we haven't quite heard about the South African stakeholders present. So uh, you mentioned about the historically disadvantaged individuals, that are HDIs. So what's your take on the South African policy? What's how has the South African policy enabled such HDIs to have an impact and what's what's the general stake about stake of HDIs on the South African competition policy? Yeah, so that I mean the way sort of the considerations around HDIs have been included in the act are actually is actually very interesting. Um so as I had mentioned um earlier, obviously this all stems from the history of the country and the economic exclusion of um, historically disadvantaged individuals or persons. So what you have in the Act, um, and maybe I'll begin where it all initially started in terms of the enforcement of public interest considerations that promote the meaningful participation of HDIs in the economy, which is measures. So, for example, mergers in South Africa that um, are notifiable on the basis of that they meet the major notification thresholds are all considered on the basis of two um, criteria or assessments. 
the normal competition assessment, which is, you know, the assessment that we generally apply um, in all jurisdictions. And then there's the sort of more South African specific and unique um, criteria, which is the impact of a merger on, for example, um, historically disadvantaged individuals. And in particular, this um, in the act right now focuses on the ability or the greater spread of ownership um, of HDIs but also workers um, in the market. So I think it's quite interesting in South Africa that, you know, the concept of HDIs, you know, has a bit of intersectionality there where you have workers and um, most workers, especially when you look at industries like mining, there are a lot of workers there that are HDIs. So there is this sort of intersectionality between generally historically disadvantaged individuals and being able to have ownership in the economy but also workers as well so how this plays out for example in mergers is that a merger could um, be assessed and there might not be any competition issues however it might result in um, a significant reduction in the ownership of hdis in the in in the particular merged entity post merger um, or it could result for example in um, a loss of jobs by um, you know, workers who do not have high skills and would not be able to sort of get employment um, post-merger quite easily, right? So what the Act allows the competition authorities to do as well as the parties, and the interesting part here is that, I mean, in the beginning, you know, and most people resist these considerations because there's a view that um, business will be, you know, anti-public interest considerations. But interestingly, in South Africa, what we see is that merger parties actually engage meaningfully with the competition authorities to resolve these issues. So we see quite often, um, you know, merger parties entering into um, or offering undertakings or conditions to the competition authorities to say they will not, for example, um, dismiss employees of a certain, you know, calibre or you know usually it's employees who would not find it easy to get a another job if you know their redundancy is due to the merger so they might offer conditions saying they will protect the jobs of those employees post-merger and what we are also seeing quite interestingly and which is obviously important considering the South African economic context is we are also seeing um, conditions where major parties are saying post-merger will actually endeavor to create so many jobs, you know, and we will, for example, um, you know, support or develop um, SMEs who are, you know, our suppliers in this particular industry. Um, and those suppliers will benefit from, you know, that sort of development schemes or um, undertakings you know, would be, um, for example, suppliers who are HDIs, right? So that's sort of how you are seeing the Competition Act being used to promote the interests of um, HDIs. And this is very importantly, not, you know, just promoting their ability to enter markets, but it's also their ability to actually participate meaningfully in markets. So that's sort of where it all began around measures. And there was quite a, a, period, a long period of time of the development of 
the jurisprudence there and you know vigorous competition law enforcement by the competition authorities around that but what we are also now seeing is those public interest considerations promoting the interests of hdis in abuse of dominance provisions for example like in price discrimination ordinarily you'd be able to discriminate between firms um on the basis that you know the volumes that they are purchasing from the supplier are different but with the recent amendments of the competition act you actually cannot discriminate against an hdi firm on the basis um that they are buying less than you know their counterpart who's not an hdi for example that's pretty new right and obviously it has significant implications because it enables hdi or at least tries to push for hdis to you know enjoy the same kinds of um you know discounts that would be given to other firms and you also have um buyer power provisions that are also aimed at promoting the interests of hdis but we're also seeing that even with exemptions you know firms can apply for an exemption on the basis that you know an agreement which would ordinarily um contravene the act actually promotes the interest of hdis or you know promotes the participation of hdis in a particular sector of the economy so that's sort of high level really how you are seeing the act being used and in particular the non-economic considerations being used to promote the interests of hdis time for your answer related to the hdis and it, their impact on uh, impact that they have due to the south african policy how do we look uh, policy perspective and competition law from the uh, hdis point of view now we would like to know what are the major equity related pics that have been included in the policy and what has been their impact thanks and yeah i think um you know in in the previous discussion it was already coming across what the you know sort of equity related pics are you know being public interest considerations and i mean the key ones really relate to um employment right protecting the interests of employees especially um in major um proceedings and you know um the impact that a merger could have on employment um but we are also seeing um quite clearly um equity related public interest considerations that seek to promote um a greater spread of ownership um by hdis but also you know for workers um in firms in in the market but what we are um also seeing is um you know public interest considerations that are aimed at um you know helping sustain smmes as well um and we are seeing that in major so for example just to give um you know a highlight of what the impact is and and i should also mention that you know these the impact is is, is nicely um reflected in the commission's um annual reports where the statistics provided in terms of you know some of the major um major conditions that have been agreed to and you know what has been achieved um through the act in, in terms of promoting um equity related pics but just to give an example for example in 2020 and 2021 um the commission had um you know recommended and or imposed conditions on about 34 mergers um 
and some of those measures raised public interest considerations and the types of conditions that were um, included in those measures or agreed to in relation to those measures around public interest considerations related to employment and the, the impact of the measures on HDIs, you know, the maintenance of local production and SME development and um, black economic empowerment ownership levels. and. In terms of numbers, for example, those measures which were assessed in 2020 and 2021 resulted in a net saving of 8,596 jobs. So there's quite a real um, sort of life impact that, you know, comes out of these major conditions um, that consider equity-related um, public interest considerations. And um, so that's just you know, one example of how you can see um, the act actually impacting um, HDIs. But also I should mention that, you know, what we also seeing a lot more of, especially in major conditions, are conditions requiring major parties to, for example, set up an employee share ownership scheme, which means, for example, you know, parties could agree that, um, you know, employees um, of the matched entity will maybe, let's say, have a 10% ownership in the company. You know, that is an important um, consideration because it also guarantees the employees, you know, um, an incentive and also income and ownership in the entity that they work for. But sometimes those conditions um, come up as a result of, um, you know, regulatory requirements under the broad uh, based Black Economic Empowerment Act as well. Um, but we are also seeing um, quite a, a lot of, you know, SMME development conditions as well, um, where, you know, the merged entity is required to, um, you know, develop SMEs, especially where SMEs are suppliers um, to the merged entity. So that's just sort of, you know, some examples of the impact that these public um, interest considerations um, can have and, and I mean I would really invite the listeners to actually browse the Competition Commission's um, annual reports and actually see some of these statistics but also um, summaries of the major conditions that have been applied and I think that would give people um, a real life example of how these considerations are applied in practice. Thank you so much for such an elaborative answer, man. especially with respect to public interest considerations. Those are very important because in the end, uh, the law is for the public interest and especially the consumers at large. So uh, advancing further, speaking about the gender inclusive competition policy, what do you consider uh, as the foundations for such a gender inclusive competition law policy? Also, how can the same be reflected in the competition law policy in general? Thanks for that. And, and I should mention that um, I've recently worked on an OECD um, paper for the OECD's Gender Inclusive Competition Policy Project. Um, I worked on this with two of my other colleagues, Nobumelelo Shabalala um, and um, Sophie Palazzi. So importantly, in that project, we what we did is we sort of conducted a study 
of the South African Competition Act and how it has used um, public interest considerations to promote the interests of HDIs. And we thought, you know, what can we learn from that process that can be, you know, translated into gender inclusive competition law? You know, how can we use those learnings um, to actually promote the interests of women through competition policy in the same way that the Act currently promotes the interests of HDIs. Um, and obviously this is a, is a topic that um, is fairly new um, and we are seeing that there's quite a bit of interest in seeing how competition policy can be used to advance the interests of women. And I think what's important here is um, you know, what we also advocate for in the paper is that we're not just talking about women as um, participants in markets as consumers, but we're talking about women, you know, participating in markets as, you know, consumers, business owners, um, but also as employers and employees, right? So what we sort of advocate for in the paper is you can actually pick sort of framework or pillars from the South African Competition Act, which can help guide the inclusion of gendered considerations in competition law. And this is not just for you know, countries like South Africa, only where we already have a framework that allows us to consider these broader non-economic considerations, but also for countries that don't have, you know, that kind of framework in their competition law. So just to highlight some of these pillars that we thought are actually important. So first one is positionality, which goes to just thinking about the role that women play in markets. And that role is not just as a consumer, but just considering the role that women play overall in markets. And we know that there are, you know, um, segments of the markets where women are present and women are you know the leading players and usually these are informal informal markets or low-income markets but also what we um sort of considered as the second pillar was um what we call the purposeful framing of public interest considerations and this goes to the point that if you do want to include in your competition law gendered considerations those need to be purposeful in how you frame them in the same way that we see the framing of, you know, public interest considerations around HDIs in the South African Competition Act, right? So it's not just taking a consideration and putting it in an act, but it's purposeful how you actually going to enforce it. For example, we include that consideration in measures and we see how it then gets enforced or applied in practice and measures and we can see the impact that it has. And in terms of the third pillar, we term this um, progressionist participation and this goes to the first um, topic we spoke about, stakeholders, right? So in South Africa, in as much as we've had these public interest considerations, we are seeing that these have been as effective because of the stakeholders that champion for these considerations to be applied. Um, you know, stakeholders that champion for the issues that come up in measures, especially around employment, for example, trade unions, you know. So when we think about gendered public interest considerations, we also need to think about who are the champions of these, you know, gendered lenses and perspectives of how we should assess for example measures you know who are they and what role can we make for them to play in the actual you know 
um, assessment of competition cases in the same way that we do in South Africa, where no, trade unions have to be notified of mergers, right? And that they have a right under the act to participate in the proceedings. So in terms of issues around gender, you know, there are, we know that there are stakeholders who champion, you know, empowerment and equality um, issues, but, you know, they usually don't really play much of a role when it comes to the work of the competition authorities. So that means maybe we might need to develop, you know, those stakeholders um, as well. So then the other thing, which is also very important, the other pillar is the prioritization of public interest in competition law enforcement and in advocacy, right? So, and this is important, especially for um, competition authorities who, who might not, you know, have the provisions in their law that allows them to consider gender um, inclusivity or gendered considerations to say, but how can you prioritize gender in what you are already doing, right? In the way you are applying the, the act that you currently have, you know? So if you have a merger that, um, you know, relates to um, personal products, you know, are you assessing those mergers on the basis that you just looking at personal products and you're not looking at the gender divide um, that is there, you know, because there are some studies that show that sometimes a major might not have, um, you know, a significant or anti-competitive effect on the broader market of personal products. But if you sort of drill it down and look at personal products for women, maybe the major might have, um, you know, anti-competitive effects. And maybe even on that lens, you also apply a race lens there might be that maybe the products that are used by black and brown people, um, there might be a price increase as a result of the merger because those products are unique and things like that. So it's just really playing around with ideas of how you can incorporate some of these considerations and how you are already doing the work that you do as a competition authority, but also advocacy, you know, and I think South Africa really um, uses advocacy a lot, South African Competition Act. So the work that the competition authorities do to promote the interests of HDIs, for example, is not just through enforcement, but also through advocacy. You know, so competition authorities around the world who don't have public interest considerations can start thinking about what can they do under advocacy. Maybe when you um, conduct impact studies and you conduct, you know, inquiries, you could perhaps look at the impact of market structures and features on women-owned businesses. And the last and most important um, pillar is what we term progressive implementation of public interest considerations. And this really is to say that just in the same way that South Africa has done it, we did not just have the provisions from day one and we were, you know, vigorously applying them and enforcing them, but there was sort of like a progressive implementation of these considerations, um, but also over the years, a realization of, wait, so in measures we've done well, but perhaps we need to think about how we assess prohibited practices and include some of these considerations, right? So this is really to say that it's a progressive process, you know? Um, so those are the sort of pillars that you can think about when you want to, you know, include gendered, um, considerations in the work that you do as a competition authority. But I think also what this does, it also just gives sort of framework and some form of structure for researchers as well and, you know, policymakers as well to think about what it is that um, 
they can do. And I think um, our paper, the OECD paper, is actually quite useful because it also, you know, does reflect um, on the fact that not all competition authorities or even countries have the same appetite to include these public interest considerations in their competition law. So we sort of have, you know, um, set out what the lower hanging fruits are where competition authorities, policymakers and researchers can sort of start to think about how these considerations and objectives can be included in the competition law. And I should also say that, you know, the way we've structured our recommendations and these pillars in the paper, we also sort of reflect on how these, this framework can actually also be used for other considerations that are now relevant, you know. Sustainability and climate change considerations are becoming more relevant in competition law as well, right? So it's to say, this is a framework that you can take and think about what is relevant for your own specific country. Because um, at the end of the day, it has to be context specific. Um, I mean, even for South Africa, it's very much context specific. And I think that's why the South African Competition Act and policy has been able to achieve so much. Uh, yeah, so that's my very long uh, answer, but I, I hope it is useful. Thank you so much, ma'am, for telling us about your study as well as answering the question with respect to gender inclusive competition law policy. Uh, to the audience, ma'am has co-authored a paper on prioritizing gendered public interest considerations for OECD. It is available online. Summing up the five pillars for gender inclusive competition law policy, as ma'am has mentioned in her paper, they are positionality, they are purposeful framework or framing of public interest considerations, PICs, as we discussed PICs a lot. Then progressionist participation, the key public interest stakeholders and prioritization of public interest in competition law enforcement and advocacy and lastly progressive implementation of public interest considerations um, as you also recommended a lot of measures to the competition agencies and also to scholars competition scholars policy makers we discussed that there are some countries who have implemented some kind of gender budgeting like Canada and Australia but some of the countries they are yet to do what is your conclusion, concluding opinion on competition laws interface with public interest? Also, a certain view on gender and how soon can we adopt progressionist uh, legislations in the world, not only in South Africa, but also in countries like India or other countries like UK or USA? Thanks. Um, and I think I should say that, you know, when you look at the South African competition law and policy, it's very much people-centered, right? So it's not just centered around corporations and um, the participation of corporations and markets, but also the participation of people in markets, whether the people choose to participate as consumers or business owners or workers, right? So competition policy ideally should be centered around all these role players and not just one um, role player, which is the corporation. And I think um, when South Africa started, you know, its journey of competition law, and which is, has been very much unique, there was quite a lot of resistance to say that this this cannot work, you know, it's it cannot be done. But I think um, with over, you know, 25, I think, years of enforcement now, um, South Africa has at least given the whole world um, 
you know, an example of how you can broaden competition law, use competition law effectively to promote um, the interests of all the key role players in markets and not just cooperations, right? And I should obviously say that this has not also always been perfect for the South African competition authorities. There have been cases where there is a back and forth, but it helps when you have regulators, especially the way you know our structure is, you have the commission that can make a decision on a merger, which can then be considered by the competition tribunal, but also considered by the competition appeal court. And in some cases, the constitutional court, right? So when you have the right um, framework in terms of the policy, but also framework in terms of the competition authorities that allows for that check and balances, then you can at least have a bit of confidence in the way that this unique competition loan policy is enforced. So I think, um, I mean, it's quite clear that there are a lot of socioeconomic issues everywhere in the world. So socioeconomic issues are not issues of just the global south, um, but also these are issues that are now prevalent, you know, in the more developed countries. And I think it's 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 very clear that it's also a pressing issue now for um, you know competition authorities. And policymakers, for example, in the U.S., who are starting to think about, wait, South Africa is doing something about this employment thing. We want to do something about it. You know, what can we learn? So we are seeing that um, there's quite a bit of interest from other countries to actually broaden how they use competition um, policy. And we're also seeing, especially in the EU, where there is a use of competition policy to include sustainability considerations around climate change you know um so i think this people-centered competition policy um idea is relevant for every country it's it's relevant whether you know it's india the us or the uk um or an african country it's very much um relevant and you know how it will look when it's actually implemented will always be different and country specific. Um, I, I quite like how um, Ariel Israhi talks about competition law as a sponge, right? That it is a sponge that will actually absorb whatever is relevant for that specific country. And I think the most important thing is not just to copy what other countries have done and just try and apply that, but to really think about how you can frame these broader considerations that are relevant, but can have a, an impact um, in your own specific um, country. So that's that's very um, important. And I think also another really great reminder of really what competition law has been about. And this also goes to, you know, why it's important to use competition law to promote gender equality I like, quite like this um, quote by Professor Eleanor Fawkes, um, who says that at its birth, antitrust was a discipline and a tool for the outsider, for people without power. And it has been seduced by beautiful, elegant, but unfitting economic assumptions, right? So I think it's sort of like a going back to what the competition um, policy was really meant to do, right? To empower people in whatever role they play in markets and 
um, whether it's women, um, you know, um, or it's historically disadvantaged people who've really never had an opportunity to play in markets. And I think this is important because if you think about it, if you exclude a majority of your population from the economy, thinking about South Africa, we're likely to have highly concentrated markets, which is an issue that we have, which stems from the historical economic policies that we had during apartheid, right? So incorporating these considerations to open up markets for all to participate is overall beneficial for um, the economy, it's beneficial for consumers. So there's quite a lot to gain in trying to um, use competition policy to promote meaningful participation by all as opposed to just holding on to um, you know what we have always known competition to be about and just focusing on the economic considerations alone. Yes, very true and this is really meaningful that we can do from competition law point of view. It is obviously related to economic, economics is also part and parcel of the society that we live and it uh, obviously also balances the demography, the economic democracy as I might call and also the political democracy that we have to value. So when we look all these things from a comprehensive point of view, we have to ensure a level playing field in the market and also to ensure a gender inclusive and to consider everything from a public interest point of view as there has been a lot of debates on law and morality we won't discuss that there has been debate and relation of law and public interest so uh, that's been from our side and thank you so much for discussing this very important topic and i assure you that this is one of the most uh, i would say revolutionary podcasts of this series as we are discussing something new which is not in the books really especially in india we don't discuss i have not seen a lot of discussions on gender inclusive competition policy though it is the need of the hour so we may pioneer that discussion we may start the discussions from a podcast and also spread the word about your study and thank you so much for speaking out on this particular and relevant issue and we are very happy to host you and looking forward to future collaborations as well. Thank you so much um, for your time and thank you for the invitation and if anybody wants to know about these things we've spoken about today, uh, you know, the great resources like the OECD project, um, everything about it is publicly available but also the competition um, authorities of South Africa. They have great websites where you can really read about the work that they are doing. Um, so yeah, thank you. And obviously if people have questions, you know, I am reachable, whether it's on um, email or on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, thanks for the opportunity. And I also look forward to, you know, further engagements on this topic in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much, ma'am. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.